This is the MLW Radio Network. Hey, this is former WWE superstar and ECW original, The Blue Meanie. And Josh Chernoff. And uh, we're excited to announce that Mind of the Meanie is now powered by the MLW Radio Network. Myself and Josh Chernoff will bring you a show every week where we talk about everything from wrestling, movies, sports, and useless knowledge. But most importantly, we have a great group of neighbors there with front row material. Absolutely. Front row material. We've got Mike Freeland. We've got Mikey Whipwreck. And we have got hashtag... This is Jerry Lynn. You're welcome again for that. I love to be here with you guys. I'm glad to call you neighbor. Maybe I'll stop over for uh, some extra coffee or a cup of sugar or have a slice of dropped pie. Ditto. Please tune in to Mind and the Meanie. Please keep supporting Front Row Material and we'll be a part of this great MLW radio network. It's time to start your day the right way with Front Row Material. Starring ECW legends Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whitbrick. Now, let's welcome your host, Mike Freeland. Jerry Lynn, how are you, buddy? I'm doing all right. Same position, different day. <laughs> apparently. I, I was about to say, I wish I could say that uh, I've moved my body any more than Mikey's uh, three feet, he told me, but you know what? <laughs> Hasn't happened. <laughs> Here we go. A visor? Here we go. Visor. I'm a visor. Yeah, I never, you know what? I never thought I'd be a visor guy, which I don't even know if it looks really good on me. It kind of looks like, uh, I haven't had a haircut in a while, so it kind of looks like that crazy hair visor that people can buy, you know, for Halloweens and stuff. Oh, yeah. I couldn't be a visor guy now because my hair is thinning and the the sun it gets your head gets a lot hotter now believe it, it or not it does do you put do you put sunscreen on your head um actually yeah when I go to the beach in Florida I do nice nice now do you wear hats does Jerry Lynn wear hats when you're out typically or are you pretty much no. just no I wear just the hat when I'm doing yard work when it's really hot out but when I was younger when I was laying telephone cable and I was a glazer, we'd have to wear hard hats. Well, hold on, hold on. Laying cable when I was a glazer. Hey, now. Oh, no, wait, wait a minute. Sounds like you were a gigolo in a former life. No. Uh-huh. I wish. That's, that's no. code lingo. <laughs> no, I was laying telephone cable underground during the summer. We would subcontractors for Northwestern Bell Telephone Company. Nice. So we'd come in and do the hard work of running cable underneath, you know, in intersections and stuff okay and then uh in the winter because you know minnesota once frost hits there's no more digging underground so in the winter i was a glazer which is i was basically a glass installer on for Harmon contract on like high-rise new construction and stuff like that look at you so you know for five straight years i wore a hard hat and it would just i couldn't take it after a while it would just itch especially right. in the summer you know, you'd wrap bandanas around the plastic, you know, insert inside the hard hat and just for the sweating and stuff or, or you know, just so it wouldn't scratch your head up or irritate so bad. But it still would. You know what? So you would have been perfect as an extra or uh, singing in that uh, pile driver uh, album that came out in the 80s when uh, when the WWF guys were doing that. Do you remember uh, that? Yes. 
Vaguely, yep. Was that how a young Jerry Lynn was dressed back in the day? Uh, I mean, wrestling or working? I'm talking working, man. Are you, oh. You're rock, you're rocking out the do rag and the and the was it yellow the hard you helmet? You couldn't see the. I'm trying to. I think we had white, but you know, just raggedy jeans, work boots, and then of course. When it was really hot, we didn't wear shirts, but you had to wear the fluorescent orange mesh vests. Yes. So. What about what about cutoff jeans? Did you wear? No, like, no, no. Well, you couldn't wear cutoffs. No. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, because you'd be jackhammering streets and stuff, you know. Oh, I'm sure you guys were. You guys were pretty busy. I mean, man. I've never. Well, you, you know what? You you've educated me on this because well, I never knew about any of this stuff about you. Well, yeah, and it was hard hard work it was very physical labor because when you're going underneath the street they've got all the different utilities marked up so you got to dig windows you got to jackhammer holes above each say there's you know the sewer lines then you've got the power gas you know water and wherever what street you're crossing whatever utilities were running through there you'd have to cut a hole in the asphalt and then dig down till you found it so when you had the tool punching underground across the street, you may have to make sure you weren't hitting any utilities. So there was a lot involved in it. Wow. Did many people know that you were doing that uh, prior? Was that prior to wrestling or was it during wrestling? That was, um, that was what I was doing when I first started going to camp. So I was doing okay. that while I was going through camp. And that had to have been a bear too, because camp, they put you through some rigors. I mean, oh, from yeah. a physical standpoint. I, uh, well, you know, you'd work nine, sometimes 10 hours a day, and then I'd go to camp, and then on the way home from camp, I would stop and work out at the gym. No. So I was having a hard time gaining any weight. I was burning up so many calories. So that's where at, at camp, I got the nickname PBK, the peanut butter kid, because I'd be in between going from here to there, I'd have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat. And <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so... A lot of peanut butter sandwiches, so I got the nickname the Peanut Butter Kid. The Peanut Butter Kid. Something else yep. we we are learning about Jerry Lynn. Yeah. So okay, so in your global days, as we talked about before, you had longer hair, and I'm not going to try to stay on the hair topic too long, but eh, we're here, so let's explore it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're here. You, you had the you had the curly hair, right? And you yep. said your hair naturally was curly, correct? Yeah, because. When it would get humid, it would really curl up. Right. Um, but then what made you go to the more straighter, longer hair when it came to, like, ECW? Because that style kind of ended, didn't it? Well, it just didn't curl up as much because it was longer and heavier. Because back okay. then in Global, it, wasn't, it was only half as long. I was still going through the growing out phase. So what made you decide to go from the the shorter, curlier hair to the longer hair? Was it just kind of a phase, or was it yeah. part of your character? Yeah, I, was, I was working on growing it out. That's all. Nice. It, wasn't, it was just the awkward middle ground phase. Do you think it was a, a plus or a minus just being Jerry Lynn the entire career? Do you wish – because I know we talked about this before. You did a little bit of the jail stuff, and that didn't really go the way you wanted it to go. But do you wish you would have gotten – a different opportunity or are you glad that you stayed yourself i i could never think of a weird wacky gimmick or a uh, a showbiz name for me i could think of stuff for other people but for me i couldn't 
come up with anything. What about like uh, you could have wore your construction stuff and been uh, Jackhammer Jimmy? No, could have you could have done that. That would have been cool, right? I couldn't have wrestled in jeans. No, you could have worn the cutoffs. Oh jeez, uh, you mean <laughs> the dangles? I used to call them Daisy Dukes, but then because I used to drive Pam nuts because I would wear the cutoff jeans doing yard work because that's how I got tan. Right. That's how I would wear. So I would save money and I'd have to go to the tanning bed or whatever. And then uh, when Reno 911 came on, she started calling them instead of Daisy Duke. She called them Dangles from that. Nice. The, the officer. Yeah, he'd wear them short shorts. And yes. His name was Dangle, Officer Dangle. So wow. she started saying when I'd go out to DR, she goes, do you really have to wear your Dangles? <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, I, she she was embarrassed, wondering what the neighbors were thinking. You know, some 40-year-old guy out there wearing dangles. Hey, you know what? You're giving him a show, man. Oh, I wasn't trying to. I was just trying to get free tanning. <laughs> and then, mysteriously, one day, those shorts just disappeared. <laughs> I can't imagine where they went. Wow. Just, just they happened to just disappear. Yeah, just they, happened to. Man, they went into that donate bag for Goodwill pretty quick. Oh, I'm sure they didn't even make that big. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't see smoke coming out the backyard from a fire. Wow. Now, did you did you uh, cut grass and do yard work shirtless? Yeah. So you were okay. So let me just paint this picture for everybody. You oh, were no, in, you don't have to paint the picture. You, you, I'm gonna Bob Ross this shit. You were in a oh, pair no. of dangles, no shirt, right? Dangles, no if, shirt. If you're gonna Bob Ross it. They were happy dangles. They were <laughs> <laughs> some, some happy dangles. Yeah, had some happy little dangles yeah. out there. Wow. <laughs> and then a pair of sneakers, and that's it, man. Yep, that was it. Man. Wow. Now I wouldn't dare do that now because I was I'm not in the shape I was then. So you're telling me when when you go to a pool or whatever, you don't wear like a do you wear like a speedo or are you full swim trunks? When I go where? To the beach? To the pool. To the, do you go to the pool or are you more of just, hey, I'm going just to the beach? No, no pool. I have like when I go to the when I. OK, I don't really have to tan now that I don't run around wrestling, you know. So. But when I did still wrestle and I went to the beach, what I would do is I'd wear my small underwear underneath my regular swim trunks. And so when it came time to lay on the towel, I would just lay down and shimmy out of my regular trunks so I could get a nice tan. <laughs> what are you looking like that for? And then when I, if I wanted to get up and go swimming again, I would just shimmy into my trunks and get up so I wouldn't go walking around in, you know, like Speedo-size underwear or anything. Why? What? And then Pam would always give me a hard time about that. And she'll even tell people, yeah, he used to lay out in his underwear. Well, no one could tell. Speedos were smaller than my underwear. Come on. Why is quiet? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to digest all this. You would, you see, you would lay on the sand, and you would shimmy out of your swim trunks into your into your undies, right? Well, I already had them on, so it wasn't like I was. So how does one shimmy? Please explain. Oh, shut how does... up. How do you shimmy? No, seriously. You, you take your swim trunks off while you're laying on your towel. Okay. 
And you you were very I'm not uh go into detail. You I mean, did it everyone, very covert like? <laughs> yes, very covert like. Okay. That no, that's hey, wrestling fans wanna know. Oh I'm the, they? I think you wanna know. <laughs> I am a I am I am the conduit. I am the conduit to the wrestling. No, you world. sound like a connoisseur, is what you yeah. sound like. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> hey, I'm the host here. Uh, so so wow. So okay. So, so how did we get on this situation? Topic? Oh my god! Look, these are things that I've always been fascinated about when, when it comes to Jerry Lynn. Yes, yeah. I have. Your oh. hair has always been something to fascinate. And I'm getting, I'm moving off to bed here real quick. So please, either uh, be concerned with your eyes closed or look away for a moment. Hold on a second. I gotta <laughs> plug in my power cord here. I gotta get it right here. Here we go. It's the power cord for your pacemaker. Oh my god! For my pacemaker? <laughs> that, oh, that's oh. Jerry concerned? <laughs> yeah, shouldn't I be concerned? My God. Okay, so let's see here. Let me see if I can get this to stretch. The cord. Is that for your, your uh, mask? Uh, my CPAP? Yeah, your CPAP. No, I don't have a CPAP yet. And people, uh, I know some people who wear a CPAP. Do You don't wear a CPAP, do you? No. no. Does Mikey wear I was going to think I might need one until I got my septum fixed finally. Well, you have issues with milk, don't you, when it comes to your sinuses or whatever? Yeah, dairy products in general. I have never heard of that for the well, life. Well, I took that Everlywell food sensitivity test, and everything I'm sensitive to is dairy. Wow. Even egg whites, which when I make an omelet, I'll use three eggs, but I'll just take out two of the yolks. Okay. But it's still all the egg whites, I guess. So let's get back to you and your pants. Um, no, let's so not. <laughs> at the end of the day, you basically wrestled just in, in tights, the full-length pant tights, correct? I started out in short trunks, but then when, you know, the I got tired of my legs getting all scarred up and cut up from, you know, when you're brawling around on the floor and stuff. Right. So I started wearing long tights. I guess I could have just stopped brawling around on the floor, huh? I was going to say, you might have been able to keep your attire, just maybe tone down the brawl. What kind of brawling is, is getting you all cut up outside of the ring? Like, what are you, are you well, brawling you know, on Christmas trees, or what are you doing? Getting tossed through rows of chairs and through tables and, you know. I almost thought you said rose bushes. I was, <laughs> was oh, going to say, bushes. that could be a problem. Well, you never know if you're doing an outside show. So... Okay, so you decided to go to long pants. Let me ask you this. When it comes to promoters when they were booking you early on in your career, mm-hmm. they get what they get as far as however you appear, right? Or do they have some expectation of what you're going to look like, meaning a specific outfit, this, that, or is that really just still up to you? Uh well, I and, and let, let, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. If Jerry Lynn is typically known as wearing like uh, hot yellow pants or what do they call it? Neon yellow pants in a in like a neon orange wife beater. And that, that's his trademark. And then for a show, you show up in a white wife beater in a pair of jeans. Would anyone say anything or are they booking the person, not the attire? Well, I don't think they would say anything. But, you know, unless you went so drastic, like, say, you you normally wore wrestling gear and then you showed up and you just wanted to wrestle in jeans and tank top. (laughs) We'll go with tank top. We'll we'll go with tank top. I don't even I don't even know how that even became known as that phrase. 
I I don't know. Probably because of the show Cops. Maybe everyone who got arrested for a domestic was wearing one of those. I don't know. That would <laughs> they be all, my guess. They, and I think you're right, because every time I wore those, my tits looked even bigger. Oh, Put your clothes my on! Eyes. My eyes. Oh, God. So, all right. So, okay. So the promoter really doesn't necessarily matter or mind unless it's something extreme, right? I would, I would think, yeah. I always tried to have multiple different colors of the same design because the one thing, well, I don't know if a lot of promoters even cared, they should, is you don't want to be wearing the same color gear as your opponent. Oh, that's something I never knew. So you yeah. do want to make sure whoever your opponent is that you guys kind of figure out who's wearing what so it doesn't look like right. so you don't look you're like blending. Anything. Yeah, right, exactly. So there's a definite contrast. Wow. Interesting wrestling knowledge right there that we did not know. Yeah, cause it, especially if because you know, I was always taught to assume that there are people out in the audience that do not know who you are. So you don't want to have be two guys out there. No one knows who you are, and you you look like and you're wearing the same colors, and they can't tell you apart. Right. So that could be a problem. Right. Hmm. So you go from wearing the trunks to wearing the pants because you're getting all cut up. You decide to go from the Estelle Getty haircut to the uh, Estelle Getty. Yes, that was uh, Sophia from uh, Golden. It wasn't. Th- I know it wasn't that bad. Come on. <laughs> so you went. So you went to the longer hair, right? Right. Did you Did you ever feel like it? And I mean this with all seriousness. Okay, no joking here. Did you ever feel like you were a heartthrob? No. That never crossed your mind at all because – No. Interesting. Mm-mm. I never had that uh, – what, what's the look? The uh, the boy band or – Yeah, that boy band look. The uh, I can't even think of the word now. No, I never had that look. And the only reason I mention that is because you did kind of have the same attire, you know, minus the tassels of the early rockers. You know, the pants, the, the good upper body – you know, the the tan, that, that kind of thing, the, the the longer hair. Or would you say that was just reminiscent of the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, because a lot of people had long hair, you know. So, and then you, you notice years later, everyone, so many guys shaved their heads, were bald and had a goatee like Stone Cold. And now everyone grows a beard. So there's, it seems like there's fads in wrestling too. I believe that. I believe that. Who was there? Anybody who inspired you as far as maybe had some influence on your ring attire, or somebody that you looked at and you were like, "Man, I kind of like the way they look. I would kind of like to model it, not a copycat, but something like this." No, I always tried to come up with something original. How many pairs of boots did you own in your career? Let's see. One. My first pair of boots weren't the greatest. I broke my ankle wearing them, so then I tried going to the amateur shoes with the kick pads. But then I ended up breaking both my feet because on dives to the floor because the wrestling shoes didn't have a lot of support. And so you'd jam your feet, hitting the concrete, and break them. So I went back to the boots. And then I had, let's see, one, the first pair of boots. Then I had the JL boots, which I had specially made in Mexico. And then after that, I needed, I was just going to change the style of boots back to normal style boots so 
super crazy. He was going back to Mexico for a couple of weeks. So I asked him uh, if he could get me some boots made. And he said, sure. He said, what size? And I said, I don't know yet. He says, well, try mine. And I wore the same size as him. So I said, how much for a pair of boots? He says, 90 bucks. I said, get me two pair. Oh, my God. They were expensive. They're like three, yes. $400. So I got those two pair of boots and I resold them each once. And I had those two the rest of my career. Oh, my gosh. So when it comes to boots, are they a situation where they need to be retread or is it just once they wear down, you got to get new? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends on what wears out on them. Because my first pair, it was all the, the, the seams and the stitching were wearing out. They weren't very well made but the ones i got done in mexico were very well made and all i had to do is resole the bottoms and that was it the one thing about wrestling boots that i always found fascinating was you know you would have rick martell and you wrestled rick many times in the wwf in the 80s in the early 90s and he had the the laces that were floppy i call them you know what i mean like the bunny oh, he ears yeah yeah but how come is it when i see other people's you can't see where they would have tied it like, you can't. I was taught you always tuck them in. You tuck the laces inside, which makes sense to me because then they won't come undone. Right. Although I, I have had a couple, I'm trying to, I don't know if it's once or twice, someone have me in a submission hold and then secretly start undoing the laces on my boots and try and tie them together without me knowing. No. <laughs> yes. Wow. I think one was Al Snow, probably. <clears throat> that's awesome. Yeah, that's a good rip. Oh, my God. So 90 bucks in Mexico for wrestling gear. So w- would you say that was that commonplace? Was in, that was in 90, 99, 2000. Yeah, back then it was. You could get a whole outfit made with, you know, your long tights, uh, a top if you wanted, a mask for like 100 bucks. Wow wonder what that is in 2020. Probably nowhere near that. Probably not, especially the boots. The people like Psychosis, who I watched a lot in like Ultimo Dragon, who definitely had very elaborate outfits, those could not have been cheap. They, I don't know. They may have been at the time. It always looked like it was very ornate. Do you feel like the ring attire is... How much of a part of the whole package is the ring attire? Oh, nowadays, it's a lot more. And that's why I came up with the JL outfit. Because I asked Brad, you know, what do I got to do to get a break? He said, the business changed. He said, it's all TV now. So you have to come up with something that will grab people's attention so they don't change the channel. So, yeah, if you're on TV, it's a big part of it. You want to have something flashy and show busy to grab people's attention. Is there anybody when you were wrestling that you thought had an awesome ring attire? Like you were like, man, they they're spot on. They get it. Well, when I was going to Japan a lot, working for that Lucha based company, I saw a lot of cool gimmicks. And who else? You know, Muda always he always seemed to be ahead of the game with coming up with cool ring attire and stuff just to wear to the ring. I was always a big fan of the, uh, I don't know if you got, ever got to see this in person, the Vader, I don't even know what that was, the helmet? The, oh, yeah, yeah. That was pretty intense looking. Yeah, that was way ahead of its time, too. If I was a wrestler, I'd probably be more the Stan Hansen. I, I mean, just the uh, the trunks, and the a rope, vest. and a cowbell in a vest, yeah. And I think he said something around the lines of... Um, 
and I could be wrong on this, but I thought I heard an interview where it was – maybe it wasn't Stan Hansen. Somebody was saying whoever would chew chaw, it yep. wasn't always chaw. Sometimes it was the real big fat Tootsie Rolls, you know, not the little tiny ones, the fat oh, ones. I heard Skinner. It was the black licorice. Black licorice for Skinner. I'd heard that story as well. I thought yeah. he had a great look. Yeah, he did. He did. I mean, man. So very interesting. So well, how many pairs of boots you say you had? Four? One, two, three, four total. Four total pairs of boots. And you, you resold them all. Um, not the first pair. The first pair, I, don't, I think I may have just thrown them away. I don't even think I sold them or anything. And then uh, the uh, JL boots I sold to someone. They wanted them. And then uh, the last pair, I just had to resole each one once. And then when I was done wrestling, I think I gave one pair to a friend of mine and sold the other pair. How commonplace is it for wrestlers to share ring gear? Meaning, like, if someone comes to the building and they say, oh, crap, you know, I forgot a pair oh, of trunks. Depends is that on something? if you're back-to-back on the card or not. Like, one time, uh, a referee forgot his boots, and he was just having a, a tryout for a ref job. And so I said, well, you can, I said, what size do you wear? I said, you can wear my boots, because he was on early enough in the card. So I borrowed the ref my boots. Because nice. they were black, so he could wear them underneath his pants. So even the refs wear boots. Because I, I, I always sometimes saw them maybe with gym shoes or whatnot, but I guess... Some might wear boots. Some might wear, like, amateur wrestling shoes. It just depends on what you prefer. And then, obviously, you want them... I would want them black, you know, so you don't stick out. Right. Unlike, uh, was it who was it, Red Shoes over in Japan? Right, right. But I think that was part of his gimmick. Right, that's his gimmick, yeah. We had talked about the early days of ECW, how they wrestled in bars. You had wrestled in some bars as well, correct? Uh, I couldn't tell you how many bars I've wrestled in. You know, especially a lot of indie shows are done in bars, too. Overall, would you say that you're a fan of performing in a bar, or do you perform prefer performing more in a more typical venue well what really sucked years and years ago about wrestling in bars was there was still smoking oh geez and it was terrible breathing in all that smoke but um the one good you know the great thing about bar shows is when people are drinking they get a little loosened up and they get more into it and right. they're rowdier so that you know it's good that way but, you know, not to say that some regular shows in a regular venue would – that the fans aren't rowdy, but it, it gets a little rowdier, I think. So what was the worst thing anybody's ever yelled at you, whether it's a bar wrestling show or just anywhere in general? Have you ever been walking down the aisle and just someone said something – I mean, not your typical F you and all that, but just something you're like, wow, I I had no idea you, you felt that way. Anything unique anyone has ever yelled at you? I can't think of anything because I don't know. I'm trying to think. No, I can't. The only thing I can think of is uh, in AAW when I was a heel, there was a girl there with her father, and her girl looked like about my older daughter's age at the time. She looked like she was in, I don't know, middle school, junior high, something like that. 
and she was really letting me have it. And so I did the uh, whatever major loser duh at her. And her dad <laughs> looks at me and goes, what are you in fifth grade? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I, nice. I was so close to breaking character and going, well, no, I've got a daughter the same age at home. She teaches me this stuff. But I didn't. <laughs> I just stayed in character. That is awesome. Wow. Yeah, I didn't want to cuss at her or nothing, you know. Right. So I was just doing something that someone her age would do as an insult, you know, but in a joking way, you know, right. just a fun way. The only time Jerry Lynn really cusses is when he's getting pie faced with a chair or he's insulting one of his friends uh, to sell some snow cones. Right. Those are really yeah. only about that's a few times it. that I've heard you cuss. Yeah. If someone. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So you did talk about your time in AAW. So how did you get to AAW? How did that all come about? Do you remember who contacted whom? Or Yeah, uh, Tony Scarpone. He used to own it. He started it before he sold it. And he's the one who brought me in the first time. And then uh, I was a regular there for a while. I was going there every month for a long time. Probably, I don't know how long. but So... It was a, it was a nice home away from home. Got to, you know, it was a fun crew, good times, and um, a lot of good memories. That's where I first wrestled uh, Tyler Black. Well, he's Seth Rollins now, but mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. And it was, and then Danny was, you know, he was there, and he was, you know, the ref of the match. He was the heel ref in ECW, so. But, yeah, it all started with the original owner started bringing me in. Now, were you living down in Tennessee at the time, or where were you located? Were you in Minnesota still? or I think I was in – gosh, I can't remember. I can't remember, to tell you the truth. I can't remember the timeline. I may have been in Tennessee, I think. Okay. Because I bounced back and forth from Minneapolis a few times. So for you, were you when you were doing all these trips, were you a rider or were you a driver sometimes when you would pack a bunch of people in a car to make a road trip? Or would you take turns or how would that work? It depended on the distance. It got, you know, you get to the point where I don't want to do a more than a four or five hour drive. If it's, you know, longer than that, fly me. Right. Now, do you know anybody who enjoyed the road, the open road? And Oh, I enjoyed it, you know. I mean, you know, early on, you know, like I said, me and Sean, we would drive, you know, eight, nine hours to make $100, turn around and drive back home. <laughs> so, Wow. That's dedication. That is dedication. Well, that's what you got to do if you want to, you know, achieve some goals. On this week in Overbooked, we were talking about ECW 96-97, and I know that was obviously prior to before you came in there, but they were talking about the gangsters, and I'm just kind of throwing random stuff at Jerry this week, just different type of things here, because obviously his hair, (laughs) his his hair, his perm, his long hair. It wasn't a perm. Oh my he wears gosh. he wears jorts. We found that out. He cuts They're his grass dangles. with no shirt on. Dangles. dangles. That's right. Dangles. dangles. Yeah. Um, we never hear about this name very often. Oh, what no. was your interactions with um, Mustafa? 
when oh. it came to ECW because he he seems to be a name. Would you agree? Very rarely comes up. It's always New Jack, New Jack, New Jack, and I right. I don't hear a whole lot about uh, Mustafa and what kind of person was he? You know. Well, I run into him here and there at conventions and autograph signings and stuff. But from day one, when I've met him, he's been great. Really nice guy. What would you say? Because a lot of people say he was good in the ring. What do you think maybe kind of held him back? Or do you think just the fact that he was paired with somebody who was as charismatic as new Jack, he just kind of got overshadowed maybe. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe he just decided to get out of the business. I don't know. I don't know his story. It's interesting because you look at people like the Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Marty was very good in the ring. Oh, yeah. But he was overshined as far as a personality standpoint by Shawn. And it's one of those deals when you have a tag team and you have one person who is extremely charismatic and you have somebody else who's a little bit quieter. You almost feel like no matter how good they are. The personality is a huge, huge, huge point. Would you agree? Well, I don't know. Because look at the uh, Rock and Roll Express. Ricky was a lot more, you know, outgoing and charismatic than Robert, right? Correct. So, you know, sometimes it works. Maybe Me- sometimes if both are too charismatic, then you'd think they'd be, a, you know, stepping over on each other's toes, you know, during promos and stuff. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. Well, because when you think about it, when you think about different tag teams, you think about Public Enemy. Both of those guys were pretty outgoing. Um, but then you look at another tag team like the Smoking Guns, where Billy was more outgoing than Bart. Bart seemed to be a little bit more quiet. I wonder if that's just the nature of what makes a team you have to have one person to really be the spokesperson does that make sense yeah in a way yeah or i don't know it, it kind of makes sense who is like, uh, also isn't just on that it's also on how they're pushed too, how the promoter right. pushes. and then if the promoter if the promoter wants to have one of them do a singles run and then they'll split them up you know, it all depends on that, too, how you're being used. Are you glad that you were a singles wrestler for the majority of your career? Um, I, you know, being in a tag match is very, it's a whole different story you're telling out there, and it's a whole different ball game. So I enjoyed being in tag matches and, you know, trying to learn the different, there's, you know, like I said, different storytelling and different psychology and stuff. And I think everyone should learn it all that's in the business but i in a way i wish i would have done more tag because looking back i there's a lot of times i didn't do it right and and i and you know when i do seminars and stuff i tell everyone i am 100 percent guilty of what i'm preaching and you'll see a lot of tag matches that really aren't a tag match what you're watching is four singles matches so Tag team wrestling is a whole different ball game than doing a singles match. How can you, as a fan, and it might be a little bit harder because we don't have the experience, the knowledge, that kind of thing, but I'm sure you can watch a tag match and you can say that's a tag match or that's a it's four singles guys going at it, correct? Is it pretty yeah. apparent to you? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Well, and I think it's easy if a fan really looks at it to tell, too. It's like, are the teams working as a team? Are they out there, like, alone most of the time and not even doing tag moves together or any quick tags in and out? Because the object is to keep the fresh partner in there. And you'll see guys in there forever before they take their partner in. I know you'd mentioned um, Robert and Ricky, but was there any other tag teams that you really felt like, man, they they just had it. They were really good at what they did. You were a fan of the Brain Busters, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tully and Arn, yeah. Them and, uh, of course, uh, well, even uh, Marty and Sean when they were the Midnight Rockers in the AWA. And then you had, I mean, I love their feud they had with uh, Doug Summers and uh, Buddy Rose. If you if you could have been, if you could turn back the hands of time, would you? Is there anybody out there you would say, man, if I could have a tag run with any person, who would it be? Who do you think would complement Jerry Lynn's style? Well, I really don't think I have a specific style I would always adapt my style sort of to whoever my opponent was because I'm not going to work the same style against a smaller opponent as I am against a bigger opponent you know what I mean no I hear you so I just tried to adapt to whoever I was wrestling so would you say you and Sean would have made a good tag or do you oh, think we did. We tagged you there over in Japan. They first made us a tag, and we had the big feud with, uh, uh, how do you say their names, Jado and Gato, when they were mm-hmm. still uh, in that Lucha-based company, when they were Takayama and Akiyoshi still. Right. But uh, And then when we came back to the States, we just decided to keep tagging as a heel team. But, you know, I'm sure we did a lot wrong. because it was only a couple years into our career so i wonder if tag teams and i've always thought about this and let me get your opinion on it if it's good to have diversity meaning a big guy and maybe a high flyer just to have that nice mix instead of maybe just two high flyers do you know what i mean didn't xbox have that tag title run with uh kane he did yeah so yeah it, it's worked and then you know the big guy can use the littler guy as a weapon and launch him at people and stuff so that made things exciting too but nobody i can't get you i can't squeeze anybody who would I, you? I, give me I, something give me I, somebody i know i'm not helping abdullah no lord no um, <laughs> Jeez. Red I mean, Lobster. Yeah. Red Lobster. Um, I don't know. I, uh, gosh. What I about? Guess, well, I always wished I would have been able to work with uh, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Okay. Whether it be a singles or a tag, because he was always one of my favorites, you know, so. But it, no. I, you know, it never happened. Now, do you think – and this is what I've thought, and, and you can tell me if I sound crazy by saying this, but in TNA, I thought you and Abyss would have been a great tag team. Oh, that would have been interesting. Because it would have been so fun because you would have seen the big monster guy and then tag you in, and you're this high energy doing all these 
you know, athletic moves and whatnot, and then you tag him in, and then he destroys him, and what? I just thought that would have been a really neat dichotomy. Well, I would just let him start destroy everyone, then I'll come in and pin. I <laughs> <laughs> would have to get beat up. <laughs> tag me, I'll pin. Tag yes. me. Yes. Wow. Very cool. Um, I did get to on my retirement tour. Uh, someone asked me, so who do you want to work with before you retire? And I said, Ricky Morton. So we got to tag against Kid Cash and his uh, MMA trainer. Oh, wow. So that was fun. So was was the run of Ricky and Bobby, it seems like, um, or Ricky and Robert, I should say. Um, was Robert kind of in and out, but it seems like Ricky was always pretty consistent. Did Robert ever take some time off? I think so. It, I think it seemed like that a little bit. So, but that's pretty cool to get a chance to to wrestle against Ricky Morton. Yeah, well, I didn't wrestle against him. We tagged together. Oh, you tagged together, I should yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was cool because he's probably my goat. Well, he's he is pretty damn good. I mean, yeah, I've been on a lot of shows with him, and anytime he was in the ring, I always made sure I watched and learned. So you get done wrestling. Did you ever get any an idea or once you were wrapping up wrestling, did you have an idea of what was going to be the next chapter? Like did you did you have people talking to you as you were kind of getting towards the end of your career? Hey, would you want to be an agent? Would you want to nope. work at a performance center? No one was kind of putting a bug in your ear? Nope. nope. So it was just back to civilian life? Yep. I had no idea what I was going to do. And then Pam begged her boss to give me a job. So <laughs> thankfully he gave me a job because I even went to a temp agency and filled out an application. I didn't even get a call for an interview. Nothing. Wow. And I even put my, you know, previous work experience on there besides wrestling. But I, right. I, I didn't even get a call back. I was like, wow. It can be tough. It can be yeah. very, very tough. Yeah. Now, did you... Were you okay with that? If it wasn't wrestling related, were you okay with doing something completely different? Oh yeah, that's how I started. You know, right. Starting out, I always made. Uh, I had a friend who was higher up in a temp agency in Minneapolis, so she would always get me a job, and I'd always make sure I had a job to the temp agency, and I would tell them ahead of time wherever they put me, I may need to leave for two weeks to go to Japan or go here or whatever, and so they always were cool with it. So whenever I came back, I always had a job. Nice. So, you know, so the first, you know, seven and a half years, I had to have a regular job to support my wrestling habits. So when it was time to hang it up, <laughs> I had no problem with, you know, getting a regular job again. That's how it all started. A lot of us are watching The Last Ride, the Undertaker documentary, and the final episode, I have not seen all of it yet, but obviously it's it's leading up to The Undertaker announcing his retirement. Now. Is that on the WWE Network? Or? That is correct. Oh, I don't have that. So, um, so when it um, comes to something... How long is it? It is, I want to say, five episodes, and each one is about an, almost an hour long. Okay. But it comes to the fact that he talks a lot about when it comes time to walk away, when this is all you've known for 30 years. That's a lot. Do you think somebody like The Undertaker would then segue himself into the nine to five world or do you think with the money probably made, not 
he, with the money he's made, he shouldn't have to work another day in his life. Right. So he, I don't think he has to worry about that. Plus, I'm sure with his experience there and how high up, uh, I don't want to say high up in the company, but with his stature in the company, I'm sure he wouldn't have a problem getting a job there. Yeah, no, I would agree with you completely. I just I, I, I can see where it would be difficult for some people to walk away. To... Oh, it was hard to walk away. It was yeah. hard to stop doing it, but I didn't have a choice. My body said it was done. So at what point, you know, I, I know we've kind of briefly talked about this in prior episodes, but at what point did you start to get an idea of you went down to the Performance Center, WWE, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you did some stuff down there with what Steve Carino? Well, Steve was there. I was, you know, I was mainly helping with Norman Smiley's group. So you were down there, and then you get this next opportunity. All in? Well, I mean the very first one. The very was, first one. Yeah, all in, I believe. Correct. Yeah, I called them actually and asked them if they could use us me as a special guest referee because I admired what they were doing because it was just a bunch of indie guys who put this show together and they sold out that big arena. That was incredible. Yeah. And then that kind of parlayed itself to where we are today. How how interesting is that? You know, you just never know where life is going to take you, especially when it comes to wrestling. No, you don't. That's why you always got to keep in mind, you see the same people going up that ladder as you do coming back down. What would you say is the most challenging thing about being a trainer, a, a trainer slash coach slash whatever the new title of it is? Because it always seems like it changes. Producer, what would What's you say the is the most challenge? challenging? Um, all of it <laughs> is challenging because I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot that goes into it, especially you know when you're dealing with TV, it's a whole different ball game. So I try to. I guess communication is the most challenging. You try, I try to communicate with everyone. I try to communicate with the cameramen, all the handheld guys, the director, and sometimes uh, Keith, the sound guy. I mean, I try and communicate with as many people as possible because uh, it can only help the products look that much better. It sounds like from a... A mental standpoint, that can be just as much physically draining as it is going out there performing because there's so many things that you have to be consciously aware of now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different things. And then, you know, if you've got a special stipulation match, like a hardcore match and stuff, you got to make sure you have all the toys and, you know, so that then you've got, you know, the prop guys, you got to make sure you've got whatever weapons you need and so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different people involved. That's why I think all the wrestlers should at least once go check out the production truck and stuff and see where the magic is really made and created. When it comes to wrestling nowadays, obviously, we've talked about how things have changed dramatically. Um I remember talking to somebody a few days ago when they were saying that they feel like wrestling right now, as far as in-ring matches, needs to slow down. Wasn't it a conversation we had on this show where either you or Mikey said, no matter how fast you think you're going, slow down even more? Well, you can do that on a house show, but TV's different. 
it's changed to the point where nowadays everyone's attention span is a lot shorter. Because when you're watching a channel, you got one corner of the TV showing what what station you're watching, whether it be the E Entertainment Network or TNT or whatever. Then sometimes you got the ticker scrolling across the bottom of the screen saying, you know, up to date news or something happening right now. Or it'll pop up in the other corner. What's on next hour? You know, you're constantly being bombarded with stuff while your show is on. So everyone's attention span is a lot shorter nowadays. And the object of TV is to give the people something that they won't get bored with and start channel surfing. Because I don't know about you, but we've got, you know, what, three to five hundred channels and half the time there's nothing worthwhile watching. So you end up channel surfing for a half hour trying to figure out what you want to watch, you know. So the object is to keep people's attention. So you can't really sit there, grab all and work a hold for five minutes. People will start changing the channels, so you can't really slow the match down too much on TV. It's a whole different ball game. You got to keep people's attention. But on the other hand, you do have to let them digest what's happening in the match. So they can, you can tell them the story with your match. So you do have to have a pause in there. Plus, if you're in front of a live crowd, you have to have a pause to get their input, whether they want to boo you or cheer you or whatever. And if you don't, if you keep things going, it's like watching a long volley in tennis and the fans don't have their opportunity to have their input. Does that make sense? No, it does. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I notice that when people are cutting promos, they'll they'll pace it out where they'll allow the audience to respond long enough and they'll let them get it out of their system before they continue with their next phrase or whatever. Right. And that's the same thing you do with a match. But also you can't. For TV purposes, you can't slow the match down too much. Does that make sense? It, it's a fine balance because you don't it want does. people to start channel surfing and change the channel. And like you said before, you also don't want to make it feel like it's overly rushed either. Like it's right. just everyone's in a giant blender and it's exactly. wh- whipping around. Exactly. Wrestling's definitely continued to evolve, and I think in 2020, eh, probably even we can go back as far as 2018, we've started to see a new kind of a revolution, if you will, where you know there's intergender wrestling, and I know we've talked about that, how it's it's awesome, but once again, it's the believability aspect as well. You know, when you have different people wrestling, you have to portray it as believable as possible. Mm-hmm. Do you think intergender wrestling would have gotten over in – and I know there was China and there was Nicole Bass and all the other kind of stuff that had happened. But do you think those were the anomalies or do you think that still would have worked during the Monday Night Wars? Do you think that type of form of entertainment? Well, didn't they have China wrestle Jeff Jarrett? They had China do a lot of different things. Yeah. But do, do so you think – I don't know. It just depends on how it's done because look at I, – I, I'll never forget – uh, Mysterio had a match with Undertaker, and it was a great match. It was believable the way they did things. So anything could be done right, you know, believable. I think. It seems like everything, every so many years, starts to push into a new area of at least trying something, trying something new, trying something different outside the box. Yeah, yeah, it keeps changing and evolving. Sort of like the X Games. They keep changing and evolving. You know, it's not just the 
the danger factor are, how spectacular the moves are, but also they keep creating new events. Like now they, what do they call it? Where you're skating downhill on ice skates and it's like a, almost like a BMX track, but on ice. Fucking crazy. Yeah. I watch that stuff and I, I, I mean, they must just be hardcore thrill seekers because I could never see myself. Let me tell you this. When I was a plump, round, seven-year-old boy, okay, now I'm a plump, round, 39-year-old boy. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> During swim lessons, you would you would go through the whole you know charades, whatever you want to call it, and they would teach you how to swim. But then, for whatever reason, whatever maniacal, sadistic reason, graduation would require you to get on the top diving board and jump off. Now, please explain to me how that would have any bearing whatsoever into learning how to – hey, guess what? We're going to have you jump off a 30-foot diving board into a, a big Olympic-sized pool. By the way, don't drown. Like I, I don't know. There are certain things I, I just – I don't get. I think that was the sadistic instructor who was sick of putting up with the snotty little brats for a whole swim lesson season and said this was his get back. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this was his reward. Oh. I can't tell you how many times my trunks have actually come off when I was when I did that diving board stunt. Holy no crap. That. No need to mention that. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> it happens, man. It happens. Oh. I will uh, I will I will end this uh awesome conversation with the phenomenal Jerry Lynn by asking you this question. I was watching something on gosh, I want to say it was was it YouTube where I watched a video of UFC fighters, okay, and they were trying to cut weight? Now, obviously, wrestling is a little bit different where you're not regulated by any governing body to have a certain weight class. Yeah, I, I get it. They have the cruiser weights and all right. that. That's supposed to be, what is it, 205 or in some considerations, 225. I don't is, – is it just basically arbitrary depending on what the weight is, They whatever the hell if, they make up? If a wrestler – like. Look at Samoa Joe. He did a lot in the X division. So it just depends uh, if a wrestler can do that style, you know. Right. I would see them cut weight, and people cut weight by spending exorbitant <laughs> amount of time in a sauna. And that's dangerous as well. Hell that's yeah. extremely dangerous. Dehydration, yeah. and yeah. one of the fighters was saying he could feel his kidneys, like, aching. Do you know if, if wrestlers would ever go to extremes, or have you ever heard of any extremes of somebody trying to cut weight? No, just carb deplete, pretty okay. much. But when I was doing amateur wrestling, I it was a state tournament. I was like a pound and a half overweight. So I put on about, I had sweats, I had long underwear, because it was, you know, up in Minnesota. So I just put on about three layers and jog, went running around the gym for I don't know how long. And I went back and I was like two pounds under. But I felt so weak. Right. So I, I was I was upset with myself because I tried doing this move on this guy. I ended up pretty much his arm came loose and I threw myself on my back with him on top of me for him. So I had to finish the first period in a near pinning predicament. And I was so upset with myself because this guy was before the match. Uh, he came over to where I was sitting with my coach and started rolling around in the mat, doing these practice, these moves, trying to intimidate me. 
and I wanted to pin him in the first round. And so when, when the second round started, I pinned him within 30 seconds. <laughs> then I, I was happy then, but I was so upset that just running around and trying to lose all that water weight so fast, it, it made me really weak. Sure. So it is dangerous because you're basically just dehydrating yourself. Yes, you're not really losing any fat. It's just you're just squeezing all the, the water out of your body, which is not good because your organs need that. Right, right. So they say, I'm trying to drink a lot more water myself. They, I was reading an article that said you're supposed to drink half of okay, whatever your body weight is. Whatever that number is, cut it in half, and that's how many ounces of water you should drink a day. You will drown. I'm just kidding. Sorry, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You looking for Mikey? Well, well, I guess that's going to do it for this week on Front Row Material. I should probably get my swimmies. You're going to drown. (laughs) Well, I was going to throw it to let's do an open, but you know. I couldn't even drink that much water. Half your body weight. So whatever your body weight is. So let's say you weigh 200 pounds and oh, I guess they say 100 ounces. They, okay, that's fine. Because what's a gallon? 128 ounces. Well, I don't. I'm not exactly. I think sure. a gallon is 128 ounces, and you're supposed to try and drink a gallon of water a day. So, okay. So you're safe. <laughs> this is some shit right here. This is some shit. He doesn't even say, oh, well, how much are you trying to drink? Oh, that's good, Mike. You know, because you should be concerned. But you know what? He just goes, you're going to drown. I'm sorry. Oh, Michael Phelps. <laughs> I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh, sorry. No, Mikey, and I'm still getting razzed pretty hard. Oh. Well, I tell you what, I have enjoyed it, Mr. Jerry Lynn. We've done this. You are uh, you are on the road. You're traveling. You're in your hotel room as we speak. Yes. And uh, you're still laying in the same position you always lay in. Did yes. you do this on purpose, or is this just? No, it just happened this way. This is just the way it is. Yeah. Nice. Guys, that's going to do it for this week on Front Row Material. Mikey is uh, on assignment. I think he's... Uh, I don't know what he's doing today. What's he What's he doing today? He's got kids assignment. Got kids stuff to do. Yes. So Jerry and I are holding the fort down. Now I will say this: I Mikey always gives me a hard time when I tell people, "Hey, you know what? If you like what we're doing, you should what, Jerry? Um. Um. Reach. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what should we do? You can tell we didn't cover this in our pre-production meeting. Oh, I know, meeting. I know, I know, I know. Give a review. Give us a review. Thank you, Jerry Lynn. You're right. And so there are some some people who've given us reviews, and uh, I'd like to thank Millatime41 who gave us a review. It says oh, really? chicken parm. Yeah. Oh. I just want Mikey to cook for me. I'll buy the prego. And CC Shannon writes, "This is painful. My stomach and face hurt." From laughing so hard so many times, thank you. This is now my favorite podcast. Oh, I'm and glad I can make we can make people laugh. Absolutely. And your boy Nylid, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, says EC Dub, EC Dub, Mikey really likes it. So guys, <laughs> please continue to leave uh, us feedback. We will read them. Jerry, Mikey, and, and myself. Read. Retweet our show on Twitter. 
Yes, please, by all means, if you like what we're doing, just go ahead and retweet it or go ahead and copy and paste what we have in our posts. And let's get the word out so more people can know about Front Row Material and uh, Pro Wrestling Tees. You want to get yourself some Jerry Lynn merchandise or some Mikey Whipwreck merchandise or the original Front Row Material logo shirt. Cruise on over to Pro Wrestling Tees. I know they're going to be having some sales coming up here. Use the code. Oh, don't tell that to- don't tell that to Mikey. Oh, I'm not going to say it to Mikey, but yeah. use use the coupon. I'll vouch for you. And uh, get yourself some merchandise. And most importantly, I hope everybody is doing well and life is getting back to normal for everyone. Jerry, anything else you would like to say? Any final parting words or comments before we put a bow tie on this? I think that's it. Um, I just hope everyone stays safe. And Stay positive. Safe. Have fun. Try positive. Trying have, times. That's right. And remember, if you're going to get wild tonight, always make sure you wrap it up. Okay? Don't want any surprises nine months from now. All right, that's <laughs> going to do it. Check us out each and every Wednesday on the MLW Radio Network. Our podcast is available anywhere podcasts are found available. You can follow Jerry Lynn at It's Jerry Lynn. Follow Mikey Whipwreck at Mikey Whipwreck underscore. You can follow yours truly at Mike Freeland, M-I-K-E-F-R-E-L-A-N-D. I give nothing away for free. All right. Wrap it up. I'll take it. Wasn't that the fabulous Thunderbirds? Might have been. Wrap yeah. it up, I'll take it. Yeah. And you know what? You'll take it. And that's going to do it for Front Room Material this week. We'll catch you next time. Say goodbye, Jerry. Goodbye. Hey, this is former WWE superstar and ECW original, The Blue Meanie. And Josh Chernoff. And uh, we're excited to announce that Mind of the Meanie is now powered by the MLW Radio Network. Myself and Josh Chernoff will bring you a show every week where we talk about everything from wrestling, movies, sports, and useless knowledge. But most importantly, we have a great group of neighbors there with front row material. Absolutely. Front row material. We've got Mike Freeland. We've got Mikey Whipwreck. And we have got hashtag... This is Jerry Lynn. You're welcome again for that. I love to be here with you guys. I'm glad to call you neighbor. Maybe I'll stop over for uh, some extra coffee or a cup of sugar or have a slice of dropped pie. Ditto. Please tune into Mind and the Meanie. Please keep supporting Front Row Material and we'll be a part of this great MLW radio network. The world of MLW radio never stops. <laughs>